Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, uh, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We've been off for a couple weeks. Just getting everybody resituated into where they're located. Jeremy's starting his new job, and we're very happy for him. But again, we're all back. So, Woo. guys, go ahead and reintroduce yourselves, Jeremy. Starting with you, buddy. Yeah, it's it's me, Jeremy. Gang's all here again. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Derek. It has. We uh, we have not all been together in like a month, I think, or more. I think it was before I moved, so like six weeks. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. We re- let's see, we reviewed the Final Frontier and the Undiscovered Country. I I, I was sad to be part of uh, Final Frontier, and I was also sad to not be part of Undiscovered Country. Yeah, yeah, I wish all three of us could have. You're very sad, uh, but I will say this. So for anybody who's like, wait a minute, you guys did the Undiscovered Country? Yeah, you may have ran into a problem because somebody, not naming any names. <laughs> Uh, it was me, uh, had a typo in the URL, and it turns out that a podcast uh, needs to be in a specific format. So it's fixed. It works now. So if you missed last episode where we reviewed The Undiscovered Country, please go check that out because hardly anybody has. <laughs> Which is crazy because Undiscovered Country is a hugely popular Star Trek film. So come on, everybody. You listened, you listened to our Final Frontier rant for an hour. Well, okay, so that is our fourth most popular episode. Final Frontier? The Final Frontier. Well, I don't yeah. even have the words. <laughs> it's probably Tricky. better. It's good SEO because it's a, a more common phrase, maybe? And maybe. I don't know. Cause I, maybe it's that Trekkies are just a glutton for punishment. Or like every other bad movie podcast, they want to hear people shitting on a bad movie more than they <laughs> want to hear people celebrating a good movie. That's fair. <laughs> well, the I guess you, you are not wrong. Yeah. No. And I'm going to talk about for an hour and a half why Captain America's Civil War is bad. Please, I, yes. No. No, do not. <laughs> I will not. Don't worry. Age but of Ultron is bad. Age of Ultron is... Anyways. Can't so, they both be bad? What? <laughs> Come on. One has to be worse. <laughs> Look, they're not Iron Man 2. Oof. Or 3. Anyways, this isn't Screen Heroes. This isn't no. Screen Heroes, guys. No. But since okay. we have the gang all back, we've got a few very interesting topics we're going to talk about with everybody out there. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the secret orders in Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get to that. Don't worry. But first, we want to open up with that little, what was it, guys? A 90-second clip they released of Discovery? Maybe a two-minute clip? Yeah, that, that so, tasty nugget of, of post credit scene that was so far after the credits, it was, like, months later. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, speaking it was great. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Marvel, the after, the after, the after credits. So was this that, was after was that the C2 season. E2, or was that, what convention was that at? So that was at WonderCon. WonderCon. I actually attended. Oh, that's right. 
Um, I was at WonderCon. I did not get to go to the panel, though. <laughs> so I saw it uh, just when everybody else did, when it was posted online. I think I probably saw it on TrekCore. Um, but, uh, but yeah. But, well, before we dive into that scene, though, uh, Jeremy, do you want to tell us about the casting news? Uh, sure. It was announced, I think, yesterday that Anson Mount, uh, known for uh, not a ton. I mean, he was... Um, in the movie Crossroads with uh, Britney Spears, but what was oh, I? What was that I commented on earlier? So he was Black Bolt. Black Bolt. It, that's what it was in. It, uh, yeah, in, in the, humans. Uh, in humans TV show that uh, had a nice long run of what, like six episodes. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's going to be playing Captain Pike, who is is famously in some kind of robotic wheelchair at the beginning of the original series. Um, who gets gets to actually uh, have a, a talking role in the what is what is the name of the the movie universe Kelvin in the Kelvin timeline in the Kelvin timeline yes but he is also so he was in the cage he was the original captain um, in the unused pilot the cage that got spliced into the menagerie so mm. you do get to see him be be captain of the Enterprise because um, he was actually so. He's been played. This this guy is now the fourth actor to play Christopher Pike. It's the Pike curse just ruins ruins your career as an actor. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, no. I mean, if you look at Anson Mount just physically, he kind of he kind of has that. I mean, I know it's Hollywood, so professional trainer, all nutritionist, all this stuff. He kind of has a decent commanding presence to him already. I mean, he's got the he's got the look of a captain. You're not casting, you know, Danny DeVito as captain of the Enterprise. You're casting a dude or a woman that looks the part. But how good would Danny DeVito as a captain of the Enterprise be? I would watch every second of that. He's too busy being an Eminem. Well, yeah, but I would watch every episode of that epi- of that series if it was Danny DeVito and you know his second in command is Jack Black or something. I would yeah. watch that. The gang invades Kronos. Wow. That's right. Um, no, I think he does kind of look the part. He looks a lot um, like Hunter, the the original Christopher Pike actor, Jeffrey Hunter. Um, and I, I think from that physical standpoint, he'll be fine. As far as an actor, I, I can't say much. He doesn't speak as Black Bolt, at least not in the uh, first episode of Inhumans that I watched. And uh, Which is great, because Pike doesn't speak when he's in that robot wheelchair. Well, he's not going to be in the wheelchair. So, okay. So <laughs> hey, for, he will the, eventually. I mean, maybe. The, the Kelvin timeline changed that. Uh, but I guess this is the prime timeline. But that's years later, right? So yeah. the trick here is that Pike was the captain of the Enterprise 10 years before Kirk. And to the character, some accident happens and he becomes significantly paralyzed and he's in the the wheelchair where you can only beep yes and no. Um, And I always thought it was interesting that he had to beep, you know, once for yes, twice for no. They couldn't just give him two different colors to choose from. Uh, But I don't know. Anyway, that's beside (laughs) the point. That's that's too complicated. (laughs) But one thing I got to give Anson Mount credit for if you if you follow his Twitter or at least buy what he's saying, is he said that he's been a Star Trek fan since he was eight years old and he started watching, mm-hmm. and it's been like his passion to be part of a Star Trek TV show, which if so, could be a really good thing. He then again he could just be saying it. I admit, you know, sometimes actors and actresses say stuff, 
yeah. you know, Game of Thrones actors and actresses are famous for throwing out fake news. I'm not saying he's doing that, but it's cool if he's been a fan for 40 or 30 years and now he's actually in the show he loves. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of them have said that for Discovery. It's it's a very much a crew of of Trek fans. Well, we're finally at that point where Star Trek, you know, for next gen Star Trek had been kind of up and down, but you know, Star Trek had its heyday in the '90s with the the three big shows, and then leading into Enterprise, and it's been off the air for a long time. So now the fans have grown up, and the fans are now actors and can try out for these roles, and so it is cool because. You know, look, if you truly, if this was what you always wanted to do, you're more motivated, you're more dedicated, and you care a little bit more about that work. And as a Trekkie, that's, I mean, what else could you want from the actors? Well, it's also cool to kind of look back on the evolution of the IP, just just kind of as a thing where it's like a very campy children's sci-fi show that was then replaced by like a very saccharine like young nerd show with next generation and then there was kind of like the more complex but still pretty straightforward ds9 uh and then voyager and all this stuff but just kind of as it went it became more and more mature like the writing was more mature and kind of the settings were more mature till now we have you know discovery which is mature as hell yeah, yeah, Discovery is definitely the first mature Star Trek. That's that's without question. It's just... So wait, wait, Derek, you you don't think Into Darkness was the most mature Star Trek series or film ever made? I think Into Darkness is a giant pile of crap, but uh, <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there because we're we're not going to talk about the Kelvin timeline a whole lot. Though I will say Bruce Greenwood uh, is a fantastic Christopher Pike. He's the one who plays him in the Kelvin timeline movies, and I think he does a phenomenal job. And I'm a little sad they didn't just use him, but I get that he is a little bit older um, than Pike would be at this time. So. Well, if you guys have ever seen a movie called 13 Days with Bruce Greenwood as John oh, F. Kennedy. So good. He's actually, it's kind of freaky how good of a JFK he is. <laughs> Underrated actor. I think Bruce Greenwood is great. So um, I'd like to see him in more stuff. He's a great Pike. So, you know. Maybe they'll maybe they'll eventually make a Star Trek series in the future and he can be captain. Ha! That would be interesting. Um, and, and Michelle Yao can be his first officer. Problem solved. What? We'll just create a whole new timeline. We'll we'll just call it the uh, the Pike timeline. <laughs> well, all right. So so speaking of Michelle Yao, that's a good transition point. We should also talk about that that post credit scene, the Discovery post season scene uh, that was shown at WonderCon. Uh, so it starts with Michelle Yao, um, but this is Mirror Giorgio uh, left left alone in what what is that place the was that Orion City on on Kronos, right? Yeah, but like her her establishment is just some kind of like den of den of sin that she just kind of stole, I guess. It's, it's a, Moss Eisley. It's a gentleman's yeah. club of sorts. <laughs> yeah, gentlemen and ladies club. Um, yes. And a trill walks in, turns out to not be a trill, using some kind of digital trill tattoos. Um, and uh, yeah, turns out to be someone inviting her to a, a young version of Section 31. 
Yeah, well, not even that young of a version. So um, I'll we'll be getting into Section Thirty One here in a bit, but Section Thirty One's been around for a very long time uh, in in the Star Trek timeline. But it's the first time that the original series timeline really talks about it. Um, it was an interesting scene. I think the biggest thing for me is that technically at this point in time, it hasn't actually happened because it's a deleted scene. So from a canon perspective, unless season two does something with that, it actually hasn't happened yet. I guess. I mean, if they they went to the work to do all the special effects and editing and and audio, ADR, whatever work they had to do, and they showed it to a crowd and released it online, I feel like that's that's enough official support to consider it canon. I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I just, in case, if season two at all contradicts just that one scene, I don't want people, like, freaking out about that or anything, because that one scene, being a deleted scene, isn't, quote, real, uh, unquote, you know? Yeah, okay, so, allegedly. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. If If they do five episodes in a row talking about Section 31 just starting with whatever, with... Captain Pike helps create it, then the whole Michelle Yao thing kind of doesn't matter. Also, we don't know. She's given a, a com badge that's all black that assumedly means she's, like, invited, but, you know, she doesn't accept it necessarily. It's not like we see a montage of her, her training to be a part of Section 31 or anything. <laughs> well, and a good question is, giving, given how Season 1 ended and we all figured out that Lorca was from the other universe and he was basically crazy insane about getting back home. Mm-hmm. Isn't it kind of caused a reason that the emperor or emperor empress would want to get back to her own universe? No, they, she made it really clear that she has no reason to go back because she's a failed emperor. Yeah, and so emperor. everyone, yeah. So she, she doesn't want to go back. She has no future there, but she wants her own future in the prime universe because nobody really knows who she is. Well, and I think she wants to turn like humanity's fate more towards what it was in the mirror universe. I think she her like motivation of of doing something in this world is to like you know kill aliens, which I get. But at the same time, if you think about it, the Terran Empire was kind of systemic. The whole fascists surviving World War Two, whether it's in Germany or Italy, becoming this, becoming that, becoming this, it's systemic for two hundred years. Yeah, you know, for her to do that with modern day Starfleet, I mean, at some point they're gonna be like, man, there's just this crazy portion of Section Thirty One running around. Then again, we don't know because there's all sorts of weird stuff that happens in Star Trek. So who knows? You might be onto something. Well, and having someone in Section Thirty One that hates aliens is is pretty on brand for Section Thirty One because that's kind of, I mean, and Derek, you'll go into this more, but from my understanding of Section Thirty One, they're usually just trying to. Fuck with aliens. Um, I mean, I wouldn't put it that way exactly. So, and maybe we should kind of talk about... So, the goal of, of today's episode is we're going to be talking about the major three secret organizations in Star Trek, which include the uh, Section 31, the Obsidian Order, and the Tal Shiar. So, uh, there are a couple more that probably could be discussed, but these are the big three. So, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Um... Well, just before we go, what are the other ones that could be discussed? 
Uh, there, I mean, uh, nothing off the top of my head, but I know oh. that there are smaller groups that, that we could talk about. Um, you know, for example, we could talk about the, uh, the temporal agents. No, um, thanks. If <laughs> hard, you want to talk. Hard pass. So the, t- the temporal agents are, are a very interesting storyline in some of Voyager and, uh, even maybe a little bit in Enterprise. They're also, you can play through a story on Star Trek Online that has to do with them as well, but, um. Just as an example, there are other organizations that work outside of the laws of their respective or of their respective kind of organizations, right? So Section 31 is sort of part of the Federation, but works independently of the Federation. Um, When I think that's true of all three of these, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the Obsidian Order works outside of the Cardassian military and the Tal Shiar outside of the Romulan Empire. They are theoretically supposed to serve their respective civilizations and cultures, and that could be argued whether or not they do that, um, especially the means to which they try to do that. Yeah. So to your point about Section 31, Section 31 is not so much about being anti-alien. They're not, uh, they're not xenophobes, but they are anti-non-federation. Right. So, so they're not anti-Vulcan or anti-Andorian, but they are sometimes anti-Klingon. They are anti-Romulan, anti-Cardassian. Um, you know, the founders, of course, for the for Deep Space Nine's Dominion War, and that that's where we kind of learn a lot about Section Thirty-One. Um, so, so basically, Section Thirty-One people thought Discovery was going to be a big part of, mainly because. Discovery is NCC 1031, so they thought that that was a reference to Section 31. Then, of course, there was the uh, the black badge that we saw in the third episode when Michael Burnham is brought on board Discovery and never shown again. The fact that it's a secret ship using a secret type of propulsion, all these types of things. So a lot of people thought Section 31 was going to play a role, uh, which is why I don't think too many people were shocked to find that they'd be involved in that deleted scene. Uh, I think the Giorgio part was kind of interesting. And we also don't necessarily know that the discovery wasn't, uh, you know, set up in some way by the strings being pulled by Section 31. I feel like that's still probably something they could reveal. You're absolutely right. And I'd be shocked if that's not the case. Right. Um, Based solely on the fact that it was only two ships using very secret technology that was going to you know, turn the, the tide of the war. And that's what Section 31 does. So just a little bit of background on Section 31. Um, they actually... So we don't know when they started, but we do know that they had existed well before the year 2151, um, which is over 100 years before Discovery. So Malcolm Reed, who was on Enterprise... Was, was actually in Section 31 for a time during um, before his time on the Enterprise. Uh, so we know that, that Section 31's been around 100 years, more, more than 100 years before Kirk, uh, which means by the time Picard and, and Cisco come around, the Section 31's 250 years old or more. Um, so it's a very long-standing organization that actually predates the Federation. Um, which is an important distinction because, you know, the, 
the whole point later on is that they're just protecting the Federation when originally they just protected Earth. They protected Starfleet. Um, so they, their mission has evolved. Uh, as prominent as they've been in conversation as of late, they actually have only appeared uh, in, well, really eight total episodes and one movie. So they were in four episodes of Enterprise, three episodes of Deep Space Nine, that one deleted scene from Discovery, and then Star Trek Into Darkness, which uh, I have to talk about. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so the, the whole idea is that Section 31 plays in the shadows. These are covert agents uh, who are twisting politics, twisting economics, twisting uh, war to tweak the Federation to have the best advantage that it can. And they've done some incredibly shady stuff. They've done some, some things that, you know, good, bad, what have you. Um, for example, uh, they, so in enterprise, Dr. Phlox discovers a cure for the Klingon augment virus that, uh, plagues the Klingons. So this was the attempt to retcon why the original series Klingons look different than Worf. Um, and they, they did a pretty good job, actually. It's one of my favorite story arcs in Enterprise. But long story short, Section 31 tries to stop the Enterprise from disseminating this cure to the Klingons. And uh, Malcolm Reed has to basically spill the beans to Archer uh, that uh, he's been part of this secret organization and he can't do it anymore because, you know, it's it's almost, you know, Section 31 at times would do things akin to genocide or at least assisting genocide to occur. Light um, genocide. Well, I mean, you know, they weren't going to take a bunch of phasers and point them at people, but they certainly weren't going to help those who they could easily help. Right. Um, and, you know, it, they were letting people die who did not need to die because it was going to shift the balance of power. It let it let Starfleet be more powerful. And that led to the creation of the Federation is their justification. Um, and that's that's something that's interesting to think about having just watched um, <clears throat> Undiscovered Country. Like the whole plot that is central to that movie seems like something that would probably be concocted by one of these clandestine organizations. Well, see, that's an interesting point. The thing is, I'm not sure who would, because Section 31 doesn't really want to be at war with the Klingons, because the Klingons, that's what they're best at. So it's good for the Federation to actually have the Klingons as an ally. On the other side, the Klingons never really had a secret organization outside of um, some of the more religious factions um, that go you know, for Kalis and later in Voyager think that... Um, uh, morale is uh, uh, a prophet, <laughs> so to speak. But they're not like a covert organization trying to shift power in the galaxy. They're not so, a species known for subtlety. No, absolutely not. And I think that's consistent with who they are. Yeah. They don't, Although they don't... I would totally watch a TV show dedicated to Klingon special forces. Oh. <laughs> See, like I Klingon would... and CIS. I would if it was like... DS9 Klingons, but not not the the religious fanatic Discovery Klingons. It would just be people would be constantly talking about Kalis, and it would just be like, all right, enough. Well, Kalis is talked about quite a bit in other Klingon stuff too. I mean, Discovery really focused on it. Don't get me wrong, but Kalis actually shows up on Deep Space Nine. Well, the clone of him, right? Well, yeah, but you know, 
he's actually there and Worf has to talk to Kalis, you know, and Voyager focuses on it, um, you know, quite a bit with, uh, with Balana and, and her, her family heritage. Mm. Um, Discovery is just focusing on it maybe a little bit more, but these are seeds that previous Star Trek has laid. But anyway, that's, that's a separate discussion. Anyway, section 31, uh, it, as far as Deep Space Nine is concerned, they actually try to recruit Dr. Bashir. Uh, after they find out that Bashir, and I apologize for spoilers here, but Bashir is an augment. Well, and according to them, they do recruit him. Well. Against his will. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and, I mean, kind of to, because he's going to spy on them, too. So he's basically a double agent, um, which is a fun storyline for Bashir as well. But this has a lot to do with the Dominion War and the fact that they they're really responsible like so they this disease was created to destroy the founders and they infected odo so he could kill all of the founders i mean that is that is genocide right to that's chemical warfare that's it's not even chemical warfare that's genetic warfare yeah um and you know they, that's pretty dark stuff that's a dark place that star trek goes if if not the darkest place, definitely one of the darker places that Star Trek has gone. And well, I don't know. There, I mean, there's also the quickening, which was was something that Section Thirty One was interested in in that episode. Now, so I'm drawing a blank on that. What's that one? Uh, I forget which one it was, but it's the one. It's not the one where they're. It's not. Uh, Wait, not the D- the DS Nine episode where Bashir and company land on that one planet. Well, and no, the I mean, Dominion so, have infected them? Yeah, so it's it's related to that. It's much later on. I think it's season six. But um, the what's the name of the guy, the Section 31 guy? I mean, there's a couple Section 31 guys. I mean, the, the one guy who's always in it, in who's showing up in Bashir's bedroom. <laughs> uh, off the top of my head, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't oh. remember the dude's name. Anyway, they have Bashir infiltrate this... Uh, conference of Cardassians and Romulans and the whole conference that he's giving a speech on the quickening and uh, the Romulan and the Cardassian who I think are both members of Tal Shiar and Obsidian Order are trying to find a way to weaponize the quickening against um, like the Vorta anyway sorry <laughs> I've been are watching a lot about... of DF9 lately yeah no, it's, it's, it's all good never mind um, no worries I uh yeah, I mean, but that whole focus was during the Dominion War, right? And the idea was to destroy the Dominion, which, you know, are controlled by the Founders and and, and all of that. So they, uh, they're they trying to, to use Odo as basically a bioweapon to, to destroy the Founders, and Bashir figures that out. And, you know, the good, the good guys prevail and, and all those types of things. But uh, the biggest example that probably most people know for Section 31 is Star Trek Into Darkness. And... I'm going to put my personal feelings aside for a minute and just kind of stick to the facts. But in Star Trek Into Darkness, Section 31 has basically become a strict military organization designed to create the biggest, baddest weapons we can to fight off the Romulans and the Klingons, especially since those two factions have future technology from from Nero's Romulan ship that came from the future. So... You have the USS Vengeance, and that's where Admiral Marcus is basically helming Section 31. Um, 
to make the make federate the federation a militarized force that the klingons and the romulans can't really stand up against in the comic books uh the idw comic books um they succeed pretty well destroying most of the klingon and romulan fleets at one point so the the section 31 is a little more overt in the kelvin timeline and much more covert in the prime timeline so Star Trek Into Darkness was made by people who have seen Star Trek but never actually watched Star Trek. <laughs> I don't know. Um, in, in that timeline, it does kind of make sense for them to be a bit more active and militarized. I don't know. I mean, like, this is where you start getting into questions about the film's consistencies and, and things of that nature. And I, I, I don't think that the way Section 31 is portrayed or the vengeance itself makes any sense. Uh, but... You know, that it, that's what happened. We'll, we'll review Star Trek Into Darkness at some point, I'm sure. I just don't want to take us off on a tangent. Okay. So yeah, so that that's Section 31. They are the covert, secret organization within the Federation that will do whatever it takes to put the Federation in the best possible position in the galaxy. Killing whoever is in their way, even if they are Starfleet officers sometimes. Yeah. And uh yeah, I guess moving moving on to the Cardassian version of that, we have the Obsidian Order, uh which is pretty much entirely uh in DS9. Like you you don't really hear, I mean, you don't hear much about Cardassians anyway uh in the other shows. They're they're mostly a, a DS9 species anyway because of their conflict with uh Bajor and and their I mean, the fact that they built DS9, so... <clears throat> but um, it's it's really kind of... As, as I've watched all of the Obsidian Order episodes, it's really just a framing element to, uh, to build on Garrick's backstory and kind of give him that connection to Bashir. Because, like... Bashir Bashir loves the the 007 fantasy and he likes espionage just because it's fun for him and then uh Garrick is kind of like the dark mirror to to his fun James Bond fantasy that uh he's he's seen real you know real cold war espionage and real throat slitting and and backstabbing and and all that whatnot but uh the obsidian order is uh just their their covert agency again independently run uh formed in the 19th century according to uh you know various people that that talk about it during the course of the show odo is really the only one outside of the cardassians who's aware of it um in ds9 as they kind of um meet the real only two players that are ever uh, shown on screen as admitted members of the Obsidian Order, uh, Anabrin Tain and uh, Elam Garrick. And we know Anabrin Tain, uh, it turns out, is is Garrick's father, which we don't learn until very, very late, but they kind of hint at it early on that he's, he's the only person that has any kind of relationship with Garrick. So it's kind of like, well, if, if Garrick has any family, it's got to be this guy. But, um, I mean, the, the Order pretty much lived and died with an Auburn Tain. They're, they're, the lore about the Order is that it's like 
constant backstabbing and people killing to get into it and people killing to get out of it and people dying and uh and Auburn Tain is the the only man who ever lived to retire even though he seemed to have kind of a a shadow control over the agency after he left but uh they pretty much just you know hid hid behind the scenes and did various things for the Cardassians eventually uh, trying to unite with the Romulan Tal Shiar to take on the Founders uh, homeworld in what was uh, turned out to be a terrible idea uh, because it blew up an entire fleet of ships from the Cardassians, the Klingons, and the Romulans that uh, ended up sending a lot of them to that prison camp that we see later on in DS9 where uh, Worf goes to rescue the Bashir who'd been replaced by a changeling and commander Gowron who'd been replaced by a changeling, basically a bunch of people who the founders were uh, pretending to be back in, in the alpha quadrant. Um, but yeah, but I mean, you got to admit that the, that series of episodes though, with the Tal Shiar and obsidian order was, were pretty badass on DS nine. Yeah. And it was cool. So I, I pretty much just watched them chronologically in sequence every every DS9 episode that referenced the uh, Obsidian Order. And it, it's interesting how they all connect, even though they're, you know, years and years away from each other. It kind of makes one long, like, really, really great story of, of espionage and, and kind of the the slow reveal of who Garrick really is and what his connections to uh, Cardassia are. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Eventually... Um, and Abrantain dies, and, and according to the uh, comics, that's that's pretty much the death of the Order, because so much of it lived uh, in his head, and he didn't pass out a lot of that control. And uh, then especially when the Obsidian Order started to get infiltrated by changelings uh, through the whole Dominion conflict, uh, it just... A, a group that was already difficult to trust its own members just stopped trusting anyone and, and it kind of fell apart yeah i think that was probably the biggest problem with the obsidian order is just that they they were the least trusting in anybody yeah right where like section 31 would reach out and try and and recruit starfleet officers on a fairly regular basis but the obsidian order couldn't even trust the people they already had in their organization they yeah. didn't trust anybody they couldn't even trust their own people no and they couldn't trust you if you had like left yeah that was even worse that was like the worst thing you could do was leave well and that's that's the one of the most interesting things about garrick as a character is we we meet him he's this tailor he's very smiley but he has these his dark past and these secrets um but it turns out he his his smiley nature is because He's using a cranial implant designed to uh, help operatives resist torture that just releases endorphins. And he pretty much just like flipped the switch on and never flipped it off. So he's just constantly being flooded with endorphins, which is why he's so like giddy and smiley and happy and fun. Because he just hates living on DS9 and hates interacting with non-Cardassians. Mm-hmm. I think we all need dark. those in real life. <laughs> thankfully i have access to that now that i live in california well and speaking of things you hate to deal with <laughs> so the tal shiar now i've been a star trek fan for 
you know, 30 years watching all the shows, all the movies, playing the video games, playing the role-playing games. The Tal Shiar was next to impossible for me to reveal. I mean, I've been uh, researching that. Excuse me, research, not review. I've been researching them. I've been looking them up online. I've watched the episodes that deal with them. And they're really only on screen by name like six times throughout the entire series. The first of which was a very famous episode, Next Generation, which was all about Deanna Troy. And, you know, Major Raquel of the Tal Shiar. And, you know, she's able to give orders to a commander of a warbird to do stuff. And the Tal Shiar, to borrow a real-life example... The Tal Shiar is pretty close, and for those listening, you know, any fans of the government, we are loyal American citizens, but the Tal Shiar <laughs> is a pretty close resemblance to the CIA in the sense that historically they've tried to coerce and get other people to do things for them. And that's what any kind of good intelligence agency would do is, I'm not going to risk or sacrifice my people to do something if I can get others to do it for me. I mean that makes complete sense. That a business would say the same thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get somebody else to to do this for me to make me earn money, and that's kind of what the Tal Shiar is all about. You know, even in the um, the Deanna Troy episode, where you know the face of our the face of the enemy, she has been surgically altered to re- to replace the Tal Shiar officer. Because they can give orders to Romulan officers to get them to do stuff. I mean, that's a hugely powerful intelligence organization. Which is, and it's it's funny because they do that on DS9 to Kira too. They make her look like a Cardassian and then uh, plant her into somebody's family because she looks exactly like the daughter of a minister or something. <laughs> no, that's a good point. And I think, I don't know if Star, uh, if, um, excuse me, if Section 31 ever did anything similar to that. Just like take take Worf and just make him look like Michael Dorn and say like here infiltrate this thing. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of record on that. To be honest with you, they they did things in, in, in sneakier ways where they would just withhold things or put things out there, not necessarily people. You know, like the examples of trying to withhold the the cure for the the Klingon Ogben virus or creating the disease and withholding the cure for the. Uh, the disease that's destroying the founders. Well, one thing that fascinates me about the Tal Shiar, and this is where we get into some hardcore Star Trek nerdiness, so stay uh, stay seated, sports fans. This is where but it starts. The, um, this is where it starts. <laughs> it didn't start before. This is what, where it starts now. What episode are we on? <laughs> 25. 25? There we go. Oh, this should have been episode 31. <laughs> we'll come up with something special uh... for episode 31. <laughs> Anyway, But anyways, in 2369, according to the Star Trek timeline, that's when the Deanna Troy episode occurs, The Face of the Enemy. And Jeremy, you just brought it up. 2371 was when the Tal Shiar and Obsidian Order had their alliance to attack right. the Dominion. Mm-hmm. So we're only talking like two years, according to can- you know, canon timelines, a two-year gap for them. And obviously, the battle against the Founders did not go well, like... You know, at all. Nope. But in 2374 was the Voyager episode where the Tal Shiar tried to commandeer the USS Prometheus. 
And not only did they try to commandeer it, they had three warbirds in support of them attempting to steal it. And they fought against two Defiant-class vessels and an Akira-class battlecruiser. I mean, so the, the weird thing about the Tal Shiar is it's like they they have access to military hardware. They have access to military soldiers. They can kind of direct the military around. They can also do these independent operations, just like Section 31 and the Obsidian Order. But we actually see them trying to steal the Prometheus, which at one point was, you know, Voyager. It's only in only in one episode. But all the lore is like the Prometheus was going to be the ship of ships. Yeah. You know, it can split into four ship or three ships, and it can just when it splits into three, it's the multi vector yeah. attack mode. It's even more powerful than when it's together. I mean, right. the, the kind of if you pay attention to the episode a little bit, it kind of shows that the Tal Shiar have enough power to not only infiltrate Starfleet to learn about the ship, but to actually try to steal the ship. Now, the the next gen episode with the there are four lights is that Tal Shiar. That's Obsidian Order. Oh, that's Obsidian Order. Yes. Oh, that's right. That's Cardassians. Okay. But they don't. They don't expressly say that that's the Obsidian Order. They don't. But it's kind of alluded to the the fact that it's being the Obsidian Order. I actually don't think the the term. I think you're right, Jeremy. I don't think the term Obsidian Order was ever mentioned until Deep Space Nine or after. It only exists in DS Nine. I think so. Meanwhile, well, the, the, the Cardassians are. The Cardassians are well. The Cardassians and the Tal Shiar aren't really in Voyager or Enterprise either, since Voyager rarely comes in contact. It comes in contact with the Romulans twice, um, once being the multi-vector episode. It's the only time the Tal Shiar are involved. Um, and then Enterprise doesn't either, because they haven't been in contact with the Romulans since the Romulan War. So, or Well, the Romulan War hadn't happened yet, so um, it's never been a thing. So Deep Space Nine really had the opportunity to focus on that type of stuff because they were allowed to be more serialized. Yeah. But one thing I really wanted to bring up and emphasize was the fact that even though they lost to the Dominion, you know, they tried to, to steal the Prometheus, and at the same year they tried to steal the Prometheus is, according to canon timelines, is the same year that Senator Vrenak, a Romulan senator was dis- was killed in a shuttle explosion which turned out to have been the result of uh you know Garrick an obsidian order ex officer and starfleet they were trying to get the romulans into the war against the dominion and that whole episode's amazing about what they do and how they do it but there's a whole, there's actually a scene in the episode where Vrenak realizes that the federation's trying to trick him into war and he kind of freaks out at him. He's you know screaming at Cisco. You know this is a fake. I'm taking this back to the order, or not to the order. I'm taking this back to Romulan Senate. And not only we're we going to stay neutral, but screw you guys, we're going home. And they still Senator Vrenek dies, and the Tal Shiar has no idea what the hell's going on. But it's just it's kind of cool that the Tal Shiar rebuilt so quickly. We still know very little about them, except for the fact that. They're hugely powerful, and they can control the military. Now, I will say this. For those fans of Star Trek Online, the Tal Shiar are hugely more engaged in the Star Trek lore of Star Trek Online, the video game, than they were the TV series or the movies. 
Like I don't even think they're I don't even think they're named in the movies. Even Star Trek Nemesis, the three ships that are supporting what's her face. I don't think they weren't Tal Shiar. They were just ships loyal to Senator Dizzy from Starship Troopers. I can't think <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't think of the actress's name, but she was she was Dizzy Torres in Starship Troopers. It's been a long time since I've seen Nemesis. I, I will do a rewatch of it when we get around to reviewing it, but I don't remember that detail. And that's the I don't think they were definitely not Tal Shiar. I know that, but I do know in Star it Trek Online been. that would have been a good pull. That would have been a good pull, but they're hugely engaged in Star Trek Online. There's whole plot lines, and there's there's dozens of hours of content in Star Trek Online dedicated to the Tal Shiar. They don't even have a dozen hours of content from the shows. The video game pays more attention to them because I think well, the video game has cool. more hours of content too. Well, it does have more hours of content. But I also think it's kind of cool because, you know, remember that we all remember being kids and you wake up or you wake up. We're watching and Deanna Troy wakes up and she's a Romulan. And then all of a sudden the one dude's like, you are Major Rakal of the Tal Shiar. And everybody's like, what is that? That's kind of cool. Yeah. And she's she's doing all these cool Romulan things. And those Romulans are that mysterious enemy. But when you actually read the lore and everybody's like, why do the Romulans hate us? And... You're reading the history like, oh, well, we nuked their homeworld in 2160. That might explain why they don't like the Federation. Yeah, we're not super innocent. We are not innocent. And I I, I got to admit, I kind of like that. You know, the, the Tal Shiar, it's always kind of alluded to them being involved with Romulan-like assassinations. Oh, this senator wants to build a school. We don't want to build a school. We want to build, a, uh, we want to build another warbird. So we'll kill that senator and replace him. Mm-hmm. that's a little bit more evil even for real-life human history. I mean, I know it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't. But that's pretty much my extent of the Tal Shiar is what we saw in Next Generation, a little bit of DS9, a little bit of Voyager. Is they've always, They seem to be that organization that has a little bit more overt power, but at the same time, they are more than willing to get other people to go do their stuff for them. And just hope for the best. Yeah. And if they get punched in the nose, it's like they don't mind losing now and then. They know they're going to lose, but they know they're going to come back. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing to uh, contrast to the Obsidian Order because there was a big thing in the uh, episode Defiant of DS9 where they talk about the fact that the Obsidian Order isn't like isn't supposed to interfere directly with Cardassian military operations. They're supposed to kind of like stayed to the sidelines and pulled the strings, but they're not they're not supposed to use actual military hardware. Mm-hmm. Unlike the more CIA. Yeah, that's a good parallel. Then you have the, the Tal Shiar that are like, we're going to do whatever we need to, but we're going to make it look like somebody else is using it. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in my, in my uh, looking into this is how, how kind of weirdly the Cardassian people think about their own government. Because there's, um, like, they all know who the Tal Shiar is. Because, like, if that one guy puts in the wrong uh, request code and he's like, I'm ruined, the, or the Obsidian Order is going to destroy my life, and blah, blah, blah. But then there's also this um, piece where Garrick is talking about literature within the Cardassian society, and all of the literature is focused, like, he and Bashir are talking about how it's all focused on like complete and unquestioning loyalty to the government 
but then they also talk about being able to buy government positions with latinum and and guldicott's doing all this like shady garbage left and right it's like everyone is both totally focused on loyalty and also totally focused on backstabbing it's a very complicated society well and if you look at star trek online what's really weird is i mean one of the 55 different weird things they do in star trek online is the iconians that old ancient race come back mm-hmm. and it's like the tal shiar join up with them against the federation the klingons and whatever and it it, it paints a weird picture because it's like the tal shiar wants power for themselves whereas what we saw of them in the show is they wanted romulus to be strong and kind of feared well, but in Star Trek Online, you have to remember at that time, the Romulan Empire is in shambles. The Romulus True. has been That's destroyed. Good the, point. The, the events that take place in the future that Spock goes back in time from in the Kelvin movies, that's happened in the Star Trek Online. That's the prime timeline, so to speak, uh, even though it's not quite canon. Um, so yeah, so the, so the Romulans are throughout the galaxy. They don't really have a home. The Romulan Empire is being kind of dissolved, you know, while the Klingons are now at war with the Federation again. So teaming up with the Iconians is really the only thing the Romulans can do to really have any sense of power in the quadrant. No, that's a good point. Well, gentlemen, we've uh, we've covered three major <laughs> secret organizations of Star Trek. I think we can all agree that they're so secret, there's really not a lot out there about them that we haven't already seen. That's true. Well, you know, hopefully we'll learn a lot more about Section 31 in Discovery. Uh, I say hopefully not really because I care about Section 31, but because I want to see more of Giorgio. Yeah. And if that's where she's going to be, then all right, let's see it. And if we see, I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm predicting as far as Season 2 of Discovery is they move more into the Cold War phase, and we'll probably see like hints at the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order just because there's going to be so much Section 31 because it's like we're no longer in active conflict. Now we're like in, in secret secret spooky spy mode. That's possible. I mean, there still wasn't a whole lot of contact with the Romulans. Like there's, of course, the the Balance of Terror episode of the original series. It's very famous where you know, it's the first time a Federation ship has talked to a Romulan ship in like a hundred years. Um you know, and uh, the Cardassians before Next Gen, they're never mentioned. They were basically created in, in Next Gen, so we don't really know when the Federation comes in contact with them. True, but at the same time, the Discovery was never mentioned, so it's like the whole Prime Universe history of the Discovery seems to be kind of a covert thing. Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not wrong. I just meant from from the Cardassian perspective. I don't know when the Federation discovered the Cardassians. If that makes sense. True, yeah. I'm not sure if that's ever been mentioned anywhere. No, not to any level of specificity other than the uh oh, the ongoing border conflict with the Cardassians, which had no impact on Federation daily life whatsoever. And by the end of the Klingon War, they would have had the... I mean, that's when the neutral zone was established, right? So they would have known Cardassians and Romulans and Klingons. I mean, according to the Wikipedia, they're estimating sometime in the mid to late 22nd century. Which would have been well after Discovery. 
So, yeah, yeah. Well, no. No, no that would have been around the time of Discovery, because the D- Discovery takes place in 2155, so that would be the second half of the 22nd century. 2155 or 2255? 2155 oh. is the 22nd century. So in a fist fight, who do we have? Do we have uh, Giorgio, Elam Garrick, or Major Raquel, also known as Deanna Troy? Oh, in a fist fight? I mean, I, ta- I-, I take Michelle Yao. <laughs> That's true. That would have been before Troy started her training with Worf. <laughs> I think even after her training with Worf. So uh, the three of us all in Giorgio's supporters in hand-to-hand combat against the other two. Because well, yeah, well, a... Garrick, Garrick is is highly intelligent and incredibly creative, but he's never really painted as a hand to hand combat kind of guy. Yeah, if I run the simulation in my head, he he gets the shit kicked out of him by Giorgio, but in the last moment, he's wiping blood away from his mouth and says some snide remark that implies that Giorgio had been poisoned, and then then Giorgio dies. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Or Gary just blows himself up to take the other two out with him. True. He's like, I may not win, but you're not winning either. So Memory Alpha says that the Battle of the Binary Stars happened in 2256. 2256? Yeah. Oh, so, so okay. So then the Cardassians would have had the... Well, that doesn't make any sense then, because that'd be pre-Federation. The 2100s is during Enterprise's time frame. You're right. I was off by a century. So <laughs> So close. Yeah, and what's 20- a century between friends? Right. So, okay, so then this would have been pre-Federation then. Right, post-Starfleet pre-Federation. Okay. Okay. So they might run according, according to the wiki, there was a Cardassian uh, exile who lived on Vulcan. So. I can just, I, I imagine, like, Discovery's gonna, because how they kind of tune up everybody's alienness with their, their makeup department. I just imagine the the necks are just going to be like monstrous and like pulsating or something. It's like I wonder what what weird twist they're going to take. Because like the Andorians have weird robot voices and their tentacles are turned up to eleven. A little bit, a little bit. I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, they just they need to meet a founder because now that the technology's there, there there could be so much done with that morphing. That would be interesting. It would definitely look a, a little bit sharper than it did in the 90s, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the 90s had that little 90s schlock going for it. It was great. It's true. It's all, true. Of them, all of them could make an ears and a nose except for, you know, Odo. True. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, on that note, gentlemen, it's good to have the three of us back. Yep. Absolutely. So um, we will be back again next week, though. Isn't that correct, Derek and Jeremy? Uh, yeah. I certainly hope so, yeah. Well, I will be here, so. <laughs> but we <laughs> haven't not... decided what we're going to be talking about. Oh, we'll come up with something exciting. <laughs> yep. Who knows what kind of discovery news we might have between now and then, if they're already announcing new casting news. That's true. They're going to start filming soon. They have to, because. It's supposed to start in April, so we're in April any day now. Uh, exciting. Hopefully yeah. there will be leaked photos of alien things that we can speculate it's a good time. about. It's a good time to be a Trekkie. It is a good time to be a Trekkie. We're happy Star Trek is back. Yes. Absolutely. Ride the high that is Star Trek Discovery. 
<laughs> well, gentlemen, now that the three of us are back home, uh, starting with Derek, how can they find you if somebody wants to find you online and talk to you? I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook, trying to be a little more active on Twitter. You can also find me on the Heroes Podcast Network at two other shows, Screen Heroes and Gamer Heroes, where I talk about movies and TV and then video games. So please check those shows out. I, on the other hand, am trying to be less active on social media as I am now gainfully employed. So you will see me on Twitter at Zen Munkin, but that's that's it because cartoons and whatever my other podcast was is on indefinite hold serial and <laughs> cartoons and you can find me at uh the underscore bittersteel on yahoo and twitter and i actually derek in a couple weeks i'm joining you guys on screen heroes i think yes yes that would be great but we're happy to be back star trek having the the the, the captain the trio captains back together in action again been way too long appreciate everybody all the fans we've had out there a lot of the good comments and feedback we get from people uh make sure you check out that undiscovered episode or undiscovered country episode got lost in the mix because uh one of us made a typo but we won't say who i bet it was a section 31 ploy to keep our voices silenced yeah it's just so hard to find good help these days (laughs) it really it really is when you only look in a mirror On that note, everybody appreciate you listening to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network, and we will catch you all next week. Live long and prosper. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us, as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows, at heroespodcast.com as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.